simple example of this in the present day is the law on the use of mobile phones. We aren't supposed to drive and use one. But yes, just yesterday, there was a man following me up in a large car with one hand on his mobile phone stuck to his ear, talking away, one hand on the steering wheel, breaking the law. Doesn't mean him. Anarchy and rebellion on a national scale, and nobody takes any notice of what the law says. They do what they think fit. And almost the last line in Judges, you'll see that those words, Judges 21-25. Just have a little, quick look at it. Very interesting statement. is the last line. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And they went from crisis to being relieved by uh, people that were God raised up and they went into crisis again and at the end of Judges there they were. Everyone doing what was right in his own eyes. If you look at the law in this country, you can see the lowering of standards. That's why that poem was so interesting to me when I found it. The law today aims at where people are going, not at the righteous standards of God. And a good example of that is homosexuality. God's word said this is wrong, but the law goes towards where the people are heading and legalizes the practice. People are practicing homosexuality, so the law runs up behind and makes it legal. Young people are wanting free sex, so the law is running up behind, like I've said about the proposal to ease the abortion laws. Why is that? Because young people are wanting to get together sexually, and so the law runs up behind to accommodate them. God loves the person, but not the practice, so homosexuality, as we know, is against the law of God. And for interest's sake, the law of the land can be based on one of four things. The first one is direct re revelation from God, and there's only one nation that had that, and that's Israel. You see that in Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. The second one is the law based on the written word. In other words, people who say, this is the inspired word of God, and this is God's law, and this is going to be our law, and we're going to obey it. And that's what we had in Britain until the middle of the last century. Then there's consensus law, which I spoke about just now. And this is where everyone gets together and says, what do you think the law should be on this? Well, we seem to be going in this way. This is what the trends say. So let's make a law according to that. The fourth and last is anarchy, and that is total chaos. This is the type of law where everyone is a law unto himself. They all just do what they want without regard to anyone or anything else. If you've got something I want, I'm going to take it and nothing is going to stop me. I saw it on a news report, it must have been up when I go into my um, laptop, I get into Google and I see, or Orange and I see the news, and there was a girl, a young girlie there, who had held up an old age pensioner and the knife that she was wanting to stab in his chest was shown. It was an ordinary kitchen knife, and she terrorised this man. Uh, but the, her eyes were absolutely blank. She was 
attacking him, she was about 16, because she wanted money to get dope. Um, and she said something was telling her to stab him. So in Britain we used to have number two, which was law based on the written word. But that's gone now, and what we see is number three, consensus law. And the legal beagles get together and they say, let's look at society and see what it will accept in this enlightened age. And so the standard drops again. You can see why this poem on standards was just so appropriate, God's so kind. We can easily see what's happened to us. Before immorality and civil unrest comes apostasy, turning away from God and his standards. If you deprive a nation of the word of God, you'll breed a generation of hell-raisers. They will not respect authority. So we as Christians must beware of watering down the gospel to please people. If in this land we do not see a return to the word of God, we'll see more and more injustice and more and more evil. These things come about if we don't return to God's law and his standards. Nine of the Ten Commandments are stated in the New Testament. One is not, and that is the keeping of the Sabbath or the Sabbath rest. This is because we are meant to live in the Sabbath rest of God. Hebrews 4.9 There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. When we are born again from above, we are born into the Sabbath rest of God. Our struggle is to reclaim that ground and stay in the rest that Jesus died to give us. Be encouraged. What we are seeing in our land is not the end of things. As Chris Larkin's recent words said, it's the beginning of the end, not the end. That should encourage us and spur us on. We as Christians can do something to reverse what is going on. We can't stop God's prophetic clock from ticking, but we can return to being salt and light, as we are meant to be. When Israel went into decline, God raised up a people to stand for his truth in the land, and we too can be a trumpet sound in our land if we allow God to use us. However, as I said at the start of this teaching, judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. It all starts with us. If we are going to proclaim that as a nation we must live by God's laws, then we've got to start doing it ourselves. And that means to resist the tendency to ignore the word of God when it doesn't suit us. Naughty, naughty. We mustn't do that. 2 Kings 16, 15-17 in a very, very familiar passage. We'd like to go to it. 2 Kings 6. 15 and 16. This is Gehazi and uh, Elisha. Taking 6, 15 and 6 to 17. Now, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and, and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O oh Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. 
And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. What was the mistake of Elisha's servant? Did he know too much or too little of what was going on? Was it the fact that the servant knew the army was there that disturbed him, or was it that a piece of his information was missing? The mistake that Gehazi made was that he had too little information about the situation. He looked at it from a natural viewpoint and what he saw with his natural eye and said, it's Christmas, we're the turkey and we're stuffed. Elisha, on the other hand, knew the situation they faced was a spiritual one, so he responds from the spiritual position. It's more with us than there are with them. There is yet a way out of the mess we are in as a nation. The answer to our nation is in our hands. The answer to wherever you live is in your hands. The church has the answer, but it must use the answer. Our ministry in these days, in addition to preaching the gospel, is to be a watchman in the land. God needs today people who can rightly judge the situation and loudly speak out as he directs them. When I was studying this message, I was listening to something of Roger Price's and I said to the Lord, he doesn't hold back, does he? And the answer was immediate, and neither should you. So here I find myself teaching on a very sensitive and somewhat neglected subject. Our ministry is that of watchmen to the nation and to stand up and speak as we are directed. Wesley and Whitefield not only led the people to the Lord, but they changed the culture of their society. Someone spoke to me just now in the break and they said that God had told them to pray around the perimeter of their school. Uh, and to um, pray specifically, in specific ways about it. Um, and to change the atmosphere, to change the, the way that, that there was, to change no respect to respect, all sorts of words a person was given to, to do this thing. It doesn't need hundreds of us. It needs people who are willing to do what God says and to be a trumpet and to pray in alignment with what he gives us to pray. That's why I believe in these last few weeks the church has actually woken up a bit. Trouble is we can be lulled off again to sleep because we see things actually happening. Oh, that's better, it's all stopped. Back we go down our holes again and the prayer stops. So, whether we like it or not, it is actually time for judgment to begin at the house of the Lord. And one of the reasons I believe we have so many babes in the body of Christ is that instead of being given meat, they are kept permanently on milk. They are on basic rations. As I read recently in something of Rick Joyner's writings, we throw them a crust once a week and expect them to live on that. I had a picture once, some of you may remember it, of a field of fat, well-fed, white-fleeced sheep. The odd thing about them was that they were standing knee-high in grass and were looking straight ahead. Now, if you know anything about sheep, they always permanently have their heads down chomping. They're always eating. I asked the Lord why they were fat and looking up, and he said, open their mouths. So I did. Not a tooth in sight. Not one. They were milk fed. They didn't have to make any effort. 
someone came and fed them from the bottle every day. They didn't know how to eat the grass, even though it was up to their knees, and they had no teeth. Very sad sight. They'd never been taught to graze for themselves. They were still on the bottle, babes in Christ. They weren't ready for meat, even though full-grown and fat. And I understand that milk-fed cattle put on weight very quickly. <laughs> so you're either getting a dry crust once a week, or you're still on the bottle. Either way, you won't grow unless you start to study and forage for yourself. Learn to chew it and swallow it. One of our responsibilities as Christians is to read the word and put it into practice as individuals. This sorts our lives out. If you don't get your life sorted out, no one is going to listen to you. If you are constantly talking about the things of the world, living the same way as the world does, doing the same things, when you talk to them about the things of the Lord, you are saying, you can be just like me. Beloved, they are already. And we disqualify our message. We must realize that non-Christians read us by our lives, not by our words. So judgment has to begin with the household of God. Matthew 5, 13-16 says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, its strength, its quality, how can its saltiness be restored? It's not good for anything any longer, but to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble and good deeds, and recognize and honor and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We often deal with symptoms rather than taking things back to the basic issues. If we see the symptoms we see in our society are if the symptoms that we see in our society are an indication of the major swing away from our Christian roots, this country's heritage and its influence towards hedonism, materialism, anarchy and rebellion, is it also true in the church? Sadly, it is equally true in some sections of the church. There is a swing or shift away from things holy, from the fear of the Lord, from his word, from his government in our lives. Satan's uprising against God started with one step in the wrong direction. Revival is coming to the Church of Christ, but it's not sufficient. We need to change in order to sustain the revival that God gives us. We must begin to live as the much-loved people of God, according to the revealed Word of God. The Word must become flesh on us. In other words, by experience, we know the Word because it's been worked in and worked out in our everyday lives. Israel came into revival time and time again, but there was no fundamental change in the way they thought and therefore behaved. So they slid back into the default position of anarchy and rebellion. They couldn't enter the promised land because of their unbelief. This was God's grace to them, not punishment. They would have been useless on the battlefield. 
They couldn't possess themselves, let alone the land that was being held out. They were untrained in war, disobedient, unruly, rebellious and unready to possess the land which God was giving them. God had released them from abject slavery and asked simply for the surrender of their self-will, but they were unwilling to relinquish it. They did not want a theocracy. They wanted a king to rule over them. It's only when restriction is imposed on human nature, however good that restriction is, that the ugly face of sin reveals itself. How many Christians break the speed limit? How many of those who profess Christ tell lies, cheat and steal? Being born again is not enough. It's just a starting point. Because we're born again doesn't mean we instantly have the mind of Christ. We are full of fallen human thinking. We see things from the fallen viewpoint. We have an opinion on everything which doesn't line up with God's. What we need is his opinion on everything. We need to become Christians who have God's viewpoint, not the world's viewpoint. People of the Spirit and the Word, full of wisdom and understanding. You know what they say, too much Word and you dry up, too much Spirit and you blow up, Spirit and the Word and you grow up. You can only give the divine viewpoint on things if you know what the divine viewpoint is. So when a society declines, the believers are often the first to moan about it without recognising that it's their responsibility to do something to stop the decline. When an MP makes a statement, we should know whether they are right or wrong. We should know on the basis of the word of God when a law is passed whether it is right or wrong. If the statement or the law is wrong, we should be courageous enough to write to the people concerned and state what has been said or passed is wrong according to the word of God. It's the duty of every one of us to speak out loud and clear to the people of the land so that they can hear the truth of the word of God. We as Christians have our part to play in society. God put us in this land to pray for it and be involved in it as his representatives. Like it or not, mostly we don't like it. We are a part of the society in which we live. And while we live here, we have a role. What this means is that in our lives, in our marriages, in the way that our children are brought up, and in everything we do, we must preach the gospel. We must walk in the light as he is in the light. 1 John 1, 7. It's in our daily, everyday living that we preach the gospel. As someone once said, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. Just think for a moment, how do we treat one another? If you bring along someone who's unsaved to a meeting at your church or invite someone to your house, what impression would they get about Jesus? Fellowships, for instance. Does what James say apply in your fellowship? I hope it doesn't. James 4, 1 to 5, and this is the Amplified. Talking to Christians. What leads to strife, discord and feuds? And how do conflicts, quarrels and fighting originate among you? Do they not arise from your sensual desires that are ever warring in your bodily members? You're jealous and covet what others have, and your desires go unfulfilled. So you become murderers. To hate is to murder as far as your hearts are concerned. 
You burn with envy and anger and are not able to obtain the gratification, the contentment and the happiness that you seek, so you fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. Or you do ask God for them and yet fail to receive because you ask with wrong purpose and evil, selfish motives. Your intention is, when you get what you desire, to spend it in sensual pleasures. You are like unfaithful wives having an illicit affairs with the world and breaking your marriage vows to God. Do you not know that being the world's friend is being God's enemy? So whoever chooses to be a friend of the world takes his stand as an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that the scripture is speaking to no purpose that says the spirit whom he is caused to dwell in us yearns over us and he yearns for the spirit to be welcomed with a jealous love? The day of Pentecost had no sooner come than splits started developing in the church. Within 30, day, 30 years of the day of Pentecost, when the church was empowered by the Holy Spirit, the church was reeling under splits that had become so large that it's never recovered. Historically, church splits came because men refused to accept God's authority in everything. When we talk about the early church, we tend to think the day of Pentecost and just afterwards, wouldn't it be lovely if we went back to that? Beloved, God doesn't make carbon copies, and the early church was less than perfect because it contained people like me and you. They had problems, and they were big ones. God wants to produce in us a powerful and effective body. But he also wants to produce unity, which is missing so much in the church. Satan and his tactics haven't changed very much. He's always wanted to split the body of Christ down the middle so that the church will be ineffective. And there are far more hours spent trying to get unity than there are preaching the gospel. Satan's behind this, using man's inbuilt anarchy and rebellion to do his work. So today, what's the cause of the problems in a Christian group? Is it the devil? No, of course it isn't. He simply uses what is already there. The basic problem for all Christian groups is that you have people there who have a desire to do something, achieve something, get something, establish something that they haven't at the moment got. And because of that, jealousy, bitterness, division, inflamed desire comes in. We are at war with ourselves and with each other. Paul in Galatians 5 and 19 to 21, I mean the message doesn't mince it really, if any of you have looked at the message. This is what he says in, in Galatians 5, uh, 19 to 21. It's obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied and joyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming never-satisfied wants, a brutal temper, an impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits. The vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival. Uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions. Ugly parodies of community. I could go on. This isn't the first time I've warned you, you know. 
If you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Paul is talking to believers. Judgment indeed begins at the house of the Lord, as it says in 1 Peter 4.17. The reason why this teaching is so important to us as the people of God is that we have to recognise our part in this because our country is at stake, the future of our children is at stake. We cannot any longer beat our gums at the state of the nation without seeing our part in it and the mid-course corrections we may ourselves, as God's people, need to make. If this country is indeed under the judgment of God, it's up to us, as his church, to spearhead change, to become the people he needs us to be, to pull our nation back from the brink. We know moral standards are becoming lower and lower. We are not immoral in this country, we are amoral. In a plumb line entitled Ten Words and Ungoverned Desires, Bob Mumford talking about the Ten Commandments says this, Allowing God to rule our desires changes the way we approach our Christian walk. The ten words given in Exodus 20 are repeated in Deuteronomy 5. They are the basis of culture in Western civilization. There is nothing more valuable and fundamental for our civilization than these commandments. Sir William Blackstone, an English jurist who wrote the basic laws for Western civilization, based our, our entire law system on these Ten Commandments. In our amoral society, we have ceased to define anything as sin or transgression against the law of God. We have taken away the absolute. In the absence of religious, community and family restraint, there is less and less self-control. Movement towards what he calls ungoverned desires. Ungoverned desires are unprincipled, unethical, unscrupulous and immoral. The centre of their attention is, what is in it for me? How can I get my needs met? I am entitled to this, it is my right, and ultimately, if you stand in my way, I will remove you. The whole thrust is entitlement, you owe me, selfish ambition and personal gain. Yes, we could say that is definitely the world. I know it was me before I was saved. But is it true of us in some measure? Is personal gain high on my agenda? I've met Christians like this. They have a chip on their shoulder which says, you owe me, this is my right. A well-dressed 18-year-old woman came up to Bob Mumford some 10 years ago now and said to, her, said to him this, Mr Mumford, I no longer see why I should help anyone other than myself. Many people share in the same view today, both inside and outside the church. Beloved, before we can make any difference in the world, we have to put our own house in order. James puts his finger on it in James 4, 1 and 5 in the Amplified Version. And if you look at it, notice the number of times he uses the word desire or desires. We looked at it just now. 
So running quickly through the Ten Commandments, how many of these do we as Christians break? Do Christians lie? In my experience, indeed they do. Do they bear false witness? Oh yes. Do they steal? In my experience, yes. Do they have other gods? Indeed. Do they murder with hatred and bitterness? Oh yes. Do they commit adultery? Regressively, yes. Do they covet? Indeed they do. Do they honour their parents? Sometimes. Even at a casual glance, we can see that although we name the name of Christ, we're not walking in all the light as he is in the light. From John 1, verses 6 and 7, which says, If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. I frequently have conversations with people and did a lot more in the past than I do right now uh, where I would challenge them about something and their behaviour because that was the role that I was having to play at that time. And their swift-footedness to move from one place to another defies description really. Absolutely amazing. My ears are trained to hear the, the footwork that goes on. Are you doing so? so? Oh, yes, 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 yes. I see. Um, how does it work itself out? Oh, well, I have started doing it. Um, I see. So when did you start? Well, uh, like yesterday or about two minutes before you start. I mean, the movement is, do they lie? Yeah. But they wouldn't see that as lying. It's, it's ever so interesting. All hypocrisy is lies. All pretending is lies. All portraying something yourself as something that you are not is lying honesty, integrity and transparency, we looked at the rule of life or some rules of life uh, on the, the school a week or so ago what we're actually doing is conforming the truth to our desires, how do we do that? So let's take a brief look at just one of the Ten Commandments to see an example of what I mean when I speak of ungoverned or uncontrolled desires. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, for example. Exodus 20, verse 3. Man was created to worship. He was created to worship God, his creator. But in the absence of worshipping God, my desire, if uncontrolled, will find another God who will allow me to do what I want. Because the God of the Bible makes demands and sets limits on me which restrict me. So I need to find a God that will allow me to do what I want. One that I can worship without too much discomfort. Given half a chance, we will worship the one who will let us have our own way. Do you remember the story I told you about the young girl who wouldn't have it that the lake of fire was real because her God was too nice and wouldn't let anyone go there. Everyone was going to be alright in the end. I tried to explain that if this was the case Jesus would not have had to have gone to the cross to redeem us but she couldn't cope with that because whatever gospel she had been handed it wasn't the true gospel. And even in the last week, I've been handed a magazine which came from America 
uh, my sniffer sniffed out the front cover of it to start with. Um, didn't like the look of it. Thought it could be Warcry or something like that, or Mormons, but one of the lead articles in it went to a great deal of trouble to explain that everyone would be all right in the end because God was too nice to actually mean there was such a thing as the lake of fire and the Bible didn't actually mean what it said. The same magazine also maintained that Britain was part of the lost tribe of Israel. As I've said before, there's a lot of dusty stuff out there and we need to know the Bible in order to discern it or we'll get caught up in it and end up with mixture. And God hates mixture. This isn't the first time I've heard this uh, part of the lost tribe of Israel nonsense. Uh, it's, it, we will swallow anything rather than the truth. So this young lady's desire to have it her own way was greater at that time than her desire for the truth. So she was conforming the truth to her desire. Do you conform your desires to the truth of God's word or do you conform the truth of God's word to your desires? Think about it. Conforming your desires to the word of God means you are twisting the scriptures to make them say what you want to say. Them to say. I mean, I've heard stories of this in the past, like the organist goes off with the vicar and the vicar says, well, God has told me this is fine. He's conforming the truth to his desires. That is an overt example of what I mean. People have said to me in the past, God isn't speaking to me, so I can't do what he says, meaning that they have got no actual current instruction from him. The question is, have you obeyed what is written? Our hearts need to be in agreement with his stated commands. How about this one? This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There's one to start with. Take the rest of your life to get round to that. If we all manage the splits and divisions in the church would stop all... If we all manage that, the splits and divisions in the church would stop overnight. You see what I'm getting at. They're extreme examples. We want to be doing something big, but God says, make a start, obey what is written. I had someone come to me this week, not hearing from God, can't hear from God. How clean is your sheet? 1 John 1, 9. Here we had a, 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 an example of footwork. Do you use a, 1 John 1 night? Yeah. Like every day? Well, yeah. How recently have you done 1 John 1 night? Silence. I'll leave you. You, you do a 1 John 1 night. <laughs> you can't. You can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. And this, though it sounds as though that is just a, a not very great problem, is, is part of the problem. Our iniquities have separated us from our God. He won't hear our prayers if we have unconfessed sin in our lives. That's what 1 John 1 is there for. Unless we confess it, he can't forgive it, so it remains unforgiven. That was a great um, shock to two new believers that uh, I was dealing with at one stage. They both exited stage left extremely swiftly, having realised that they had not confessed an awful lot of stuff when they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. If it hasn't been confessed, it hasn't been forgiven, because you need to bring it to the light in order for it to be cleansed and dealt with. It's not, it's not 
big stick stuff, it's just what the scriptures tell us. So when we looked at capital punishment, we found, some of us, that we had to change our minds about what we believed was fair and just, when we discovered it wasn't what we thought about the matter, but about what God said on the subject. Often without realising it, we're being led by our desires rather than his. It's not condemnation, this is all growth. If we can hear this message, it can save us a lot of heartache. We're all learning in the school of the Holy Spirit, so let's just be teachable. We actually constantly want to attribute to God the characteristics of our own fallen nature. Psalm 50 verse 21, God says, You thought I was altogether, it says in the King James, such an one as yourself. Or in the more modern translations, you thought I was altogether like you. Our God often does things we distinctly disagree with and certainly don't like. He surprises, frightens and sometimes frustrates us and even, dare I say, makes us angry because we want him to satisfy our fallen nature. But Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in the heavens, he does whatever he pleases. It's very interesting that, uh, on a personal note, I've never been able to talk to my uh, daughter-in-law about anything about the things of God. I haven't had the permission to speak about it. And then yesterday, I went swimming with her, and because uh, my hair got soaking wet, I had to let it down. And she said, why is your hair so Why don't you have your hair trimmed? Why don't you have it cut? And why didn't notice that long? Da-da-da-da-da. Why is it like this? Da-da-da. Question, question. So I said, when we get in the car, sweetheart, if I remember, I'll tell you about it. Very casual, very laid back. Got in the car, Lord reminded me, and I gave her the whole of my history leading up to my salvation. She just sat there and listened. Never been able to tell her before. Told her the whole piece about how I cut my hair once, having vowed it to God. Told her about the woman caught in adultery. Told her about the whole thing. And she just listened on the same day as Stephen has this angelic uh, well I'm giving her that, he's getting an angelic visitation somewhere it isn't difficult if you just go with the flow of the spirit to come in with it at the moment that he wants you to speak I'm not suggesting that we all raise up on our high legs and start stomping around there and telling the people out there they're wrong because they don't know they are wrong all this needs to be mixed with the love of God and the leading of the spirit but let's get our own house in order and then we can hear clearly how God wants us to pray and, and seek him. I mean, it was brilliant what the young lady said to me about and she wants to feel she's got to walk seven times around the perimeter of the school, was going to pray about it. I said, don't pray about it, do it, eh? That only needs one person. God doesn't actually need an army of... We won't get an army of warriors. One warrior takes a city went off the point there so A.W. Tozer in his book that incredible Christian talking about the way we portray Jesus is another prophet that is a hoot as a shepherd says this the artist took up the idea and depicted Christ as a real shepherd and their work has become so fixed in the minds of Christians 
that when our Lord returns, many of them will be secretly disappointed if he's not carrying a crook in his hand and a woolly lamb under his arm. This is an image that Paul and John would never recognize. Paul declared he wouldn't know Jesus after the flesh anymore and John fell at his feet as dead when he saw him as he is now. We have this innate ability to portray Jesus as we want him, not as he really is. You thought I was altogether like you. He's awesome, folks. He's awesome. If we as a church are moving steadily away from God and towards uncontrolled and ungoverned desires, it's because we've set our desire against the Spirit of God, even unwittingly, because we're following the Spirit of the world. Not only are our desires uncontrolled, but anarchy which accompanies it says, no one has any right to tell me how to control them. In other words, we will not have him to rule over us the whole lordship issue we are in a sad state both as church and nation summing it up then as Christians we have a duty to be upright citizens in our land we have a responsibility to pray for our land and our government whether we agree with it or not Romans 13 is your thing for that we should identify with the nation which is made up of ordinary people just like us. Our prayer for them is powerful and effective to bless and preserve them. I went out yesterday with uh, my daughter-in-law we, and we had a, a really good time and at one stage we went into one of the shop, it wasn't CK, TK Max, it was one of the others. She was looking at something. We didn't buy anything. As we came out, there was this young lad, tall young laddie, on the till. And he had a, the, you know, ring through the bottom lip and all the stuff. And I felt such love for him. I just wanted to reach out my hand and squeeze his hand and say, God bless you, dear. But I walked straight past him. <laughs> Why didn't I do it? afterwards that's what we are out there for that the love of God can flow through us to touch the people out there at the most unexpected moments I missed it but God's promised me I'll have another opportunity I suspect what held me back was Michelle walking in front of me and I thought she'll turn around and think what's she doing now <laughs> but I won't miss the next chance so our prayer for them is powerful and effective to bless and preserve. God is not condemning the people. They are in ignorance, even though judgment is on the country. We are the ones that have the answer. So we should pray for Israel because praying for Israel is a way of bringing blessing to this nation. We should be prepared to speak up for the truth and to write to Parliament or our MP when laws are passed that are blatantly against God's law. But in all of this, we need to be led by the Spirit of God. So, beloved, we need to see a return to godliness in our land. And if that is to happen, we must play our part in it. Augustine said, love God and do as you please. 
If your motive is love for God, there will be only one thing you desire, and that is to do the will of your Father, just like Jesus. In that, you'll find true freedom because God is ruling your desires and your desires will no longer rule you. This is the nature of the kingdom of God. It's neither coercive nor tyrannical, but it's effective in making you free and more concerned to see God's will done in this world than anything else. And that's the goal to which we're inexorably moving in these teachings. Not my will, but thine be done. Absolute surrender and submission to the will of God in all of our lives. So God bless you and thank you for listening and may God bless his word to us. Thank you. Right, lovely. So just to sort of start the second session, I'll read this prayer of confession and repentance. Um... And I've got some copies so you can have one. And I felt that the Holy Spirit gave me this because I didn't know where to start really. It goes like this. Father, I pray that you would waken me from my apathy. I ask you to reform me and cause me to walk in your ways. Make me truly repentant, Lord. Grant that I may be moved to humble myself before you so that my prayers will come from, a de from the depths of a humbled heart and be effective. Thank you, Father, that it's your goodness that leads me to repentance. I confess that I haven't been salt and light in my life or my community. I confess I've not sought you as I should. I confess I've not involved myself with the affairs of the country, but have turned a blind eye to what's happening. I've taken no responsibility for my part in the fall of this nation. I've allowed myself to be part of the problem and not part of the answer. I know that such things as abortion are taking place on a massive scale. I confess it has not touched me. I've allowed the spirit of murder to reign unchallenged. I confess I've become hardened to hearing the voice of violence and murder amongst young people and have not recognised that I have a part to play in prayer for the safety and blessing of the nation. Forgive me for not realising our families, our children, our land and our nation are all a part of Jesus' inheritance, purchased by his precious blood. Forgive me, I've been so in step with the world I couldn't hear your voice. I confess I've neither sought you nor cared what's happening. I've been self-indulgent, pleasing only myself and seeking only blessing for me. Please forgive me. Father, I repent of my laziness. I choose to take my place in the army of God and stand before you to petition you for your grace and mercy to be poured out on this country of which I am a part, despite its pitiful state and sinfulness. Thank you that you are a God of all grace and mercy and that you are awakening me now to position myself to intercede for the nation. Amen. I stand in this, Father, identifying with the nation, and say with Daniel, Father, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To you, O Lord, belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against you. 
O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and fury be turned away from us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servants and cause your face to shine upon us. O God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. For we do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake. My God, for your city and your people are called by your name. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, restore in Jesus' name. So if you feel you would be able to pray that one, um, perhaps someone would give them out. Thank you, dear. And this one is, Father, we thank you that nothing is too big for you. Nothing can compare with your power and wisdom. Today we lift our voices to you that you would be exalted in this nation. We pray that the leaders of this nation would honour and exalt your name and that your righteousness would be manifested in the marketplaces of this great land. Father, your word says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's Proverbs 13:34. We pray for those in authority in our land, and particularly for those who bear your name. Father, remind them that nothing prevents you from saving by many or by few. Build their spirits today to trust in you with all their heart. Let those in authority over us call upon your name before every parliamentary committee meeting and directive upon which they propose to act, that you might direct them. Let them choose the fear of God and not the fear of man. Let them see the reward of their godly actions, strengthen them, encourage them, and bless their families. O oh Lord, our prayer is that you would indeed make haste to deliver and shine upon this land once again with your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay then. Thank you. Dear Lord, we ask you to help our nation to begin again, to live the life that you have shown us in your commandments and in the example of love and forgiveness and justice that Jesus taught us. We ask for your mercy on us, your church, at this time. Raise up those at government level to bring righteous laws and bringing down unrighteous laws at this level. Empower the prayer groups in Parliament. Enliven the believers in the police force to give chief officers powers that will enable them to administer justly. Bring the Holy Spirit into the hearts of the young and open their eyes to your truth and connect them with God-appointed leaders. Father, let your light into the world around us and banish the dark. Let your people follow your precepts to love one another as I have loved you and your neighbour as yourself. In God's name, Amen. Thank you very much, Table 1. Brilliant. Comes Table 2. Lord God, Heavenly Father, forgive us and our nation for straying so far from your word, laws and ways. We plead with you 
to allow the Prime Minister of this land to encounter you so mightily that he cannot resist you and let him lead with the authority that you have given him. Enable our MPs to turn our laws and country away from evil and lead us straight to you, Lord. Guide our government, give them your wisdom and your understanding. Lord, we know that man plans, but we ask that you govern their footsteps. Amen. Wow, we're getting some brilliant ones here. And last one, thank you. Dear Lord, we pray for godly influences to be powerful in our government, for Christians to be influential in our parliament, and have access to those who make our laws, so that the laws and word, your laws and word, will have a greater weight and influence in our land. We want to see your will all-powerful over the media in this country. Stop the way the media controls the opinions of the people and stop the way it reports sleaze as something to be celebrated. Give Christians a greater voice in our media. Amen. God, we acknowledge you to be our great warrior king, who rides through the heavens in kingly power and majestic glory. We are grieved by the state of our nation and cry out to you for help. May the minds of your people be set free from the powers of darkness. God, you are the giver of light. May your light shine through us, your people, in this land. Well, all I can say is amen to that. I mean, thank you. They're brilliant. Um, they're absolutely splendid. I hope you're pleased with yourselves, because I would be. I think that that just shows you, doesn't it, the power of just getting together for half an hour or so and seeking the Lord. What I'd like is actually if I can have a copy of each one of those so that I can type them up, and when I send the notes out, I'll send them out with it. While, I, while you guys were doing the business there, I was just sitting here quietly and musing on one or two things. And I just, going back to this business of the principle of intercession and standing in the gap, I potted through numbers and I found at least three times where Moses did that and stood in the gap against this rebellious nation, Israel, who were called his people, God's people. Uh, so it's quite interesting just to see the principle of standing in the gap like this for the country and for, the, for those of the church who were asleep. Now I want to throw out a challenge as ever. Is there anyone, and I don't want a show of hands, who will undertake to pray either their own prayer that they've crafted or someone else's or all four? Um, depending on which one you feel that, you, that it is, is actually, you know, wow, that's a wowie prayer, I want to pray that one, um, for the next month. Every day, for the next 30 days that you would undertake to pray that prayer, at least once a day, 
uh, and just let's see what a difference that will make because what's happening there is corporate prayer going up to the Lord so it's between you and him uh, and, and that's where you're you know, making your covenant if you say okay father I'm just going to covenant to do that at least once a day for the next month that's, that's absolutely brilliant um, maybe just to finish with uh, if someone would like to, to um, give these out be good this is the prayer uh, we thank you nothing's too big for you Thank you, dear. Um, just before we finish, um, the next Baton meeting is on the 30th of August. And that is about knowing God's ways. God's ways in that he uses in the process of developing us. So that is going to be a, a really quite interesting. I'm enjoying doing that. It's not such a labour for me to do that one as it, as it has been for doing the others. Um, thank you. Uh, so that one's knowing God's ways. And on the 27th of September, there is Spiritual Warfare Part 2. 25th of October, Angels and Giants are things that go bump in the night. I wanted to put on the end of that because I want to do a little bit about demonology there. Uh, I think I have booked another session for November, but I can't remember the date. And December the 6th, uh, you can hear the voice of God. And that will uh, be all about how to hear him. And we'll probably do a workshop with that one as well. You're looking very puzzled. December the 6th is Monday. Sorry? Oh, no. Sorry. Me. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay. Thank you.